Hello and welcome to the Praise Center Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message. For more information, visit PraiseCenterOnline.com. All right, if you've got your Bibles, open them to the book of Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 21. And if you don't have your Bible, I'm actually today going to put the scripture up because I'm going to do some things a little bit differently. So you'll be able to read it as well on the screen. But just so you know that I'm reading the right stuff, uh, you'll check it out in your word there. I want us to look at this passage from uh, Ephesians 5 that is for us um, usually reserved for talks about marriage. And uh, we talk about, and rightfully so, it's the most definitive passage in the New Testament or in the Bible for that matter that talks about husbands and wives and how they should interact. And especially, I think, in verse 33 of chapter 5 where it says that the, the husband must love his wife as he loves himself and the wife must respect her husband. And I believe, honestly, I don't have any empirical evidence of this, but I believe that if you uh, uh, who are husbands would love like Jesus loves that wife of yours and just love her as you love yourself, come on, that, and if the wife would respect and, uh, you know, and the, it, to her husband the way she respects Jesus Christ, come on, because that's, what, that's when he talks earlier about submitting. He says, submit as to the Lord, so you're respecting your husband, and, uh, and if we would do that to the best of our ability, I believe that 90% of all problems in marriage would be eliminated. I really do. Because that just, that just diffuses everything right there. And there, there may be a few other little problems out there, but they can always be dealt with, I think, if we will just get after these two things. But my message is not about that today. I just wanted to make sure and make that point. So, so as great as Ephesians 5 is for that discussion, Paul makes it clear that that's not the primary, it is an understanding, but it is not the primary understanding of this passage that we're going to look at today. It's not what he's really talking about. The truth is we're not going to understand marriage unless we understand the relationship between Christ and his church, and that's what this passage is truly about. In verse 32, Paul says, uh, he says very clearly, I am talking about Christ and the church. After all that stuff that he says, he says, I'm talking about Christ and the church. So in, with that in mind, we're going to uh, make this passage. I'm going to do a little something with this passage. Uh, don't judge me for it. I think it's okay. I think I'm doing it within the context and the understanding. But it's going to be a little bit different on the screen because I, what I've done is I've edited it to remove all the specific references to husbands and wives, even as important as they are, and they help us understand. But I really want us to get the heart of what Jesus is, or, or what Jesus is saying uh, to us through Paul here regarding the, the body of Christ, the church, his bride. So here we go, Ephesians. So you just follow along on the screen, but if you want to have your Bibles just for reference at other points, you can keep that open. But look on the screen here. So here is my edited version of these, these uh, verses. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Christ is the head of the church, his body, of which he is the Savior. Now the church submits to Christ. Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word, and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. After all, no one ever hated their own body, but they feed and care for their body just as Christ does the church. For we are members of his body. This is a profound mystery, but I'm talking about Christ and the church. Today we're looking at the subject from our, finishing up our Rooted series on why is the church important 
Let's pray. God, thank you for your, your scripture that reveals things. And Lord, even though there are primary meanings to passages, there are those secondary ones. And there's the, the, the depth of your word and the, uh, the depth of the riches as we go into it is so profound to me. And I'm so grateful that I can never read your word without being spoken to, Lord, as I open my mind to you. So God, that is so amazing. I love that. And I pray today that as we listen, and as we speak, Lord, that there would be anointing on both ends and that the seed of your word would be planted deep into soil that is prepared and tilled. And Lord, if there would be any tendency to be distracted in these moments or any tendency to maybe uh, check messages on our phones or anything, God, would you just help us to be focused for this next little bit of time here as we, as we go through this. In Jesus Christ's name, if you agree with that, say amen. 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 Sometimes I see you looking down and I know what's going on, you know, come on. I don't care if, listen, you're not going to die if your phone buzzes and you don't look at it. Because in that, listen, do you know that the devil could use a moment like that to take you away from your attention of what the word of God that's being spoken so that you will miss the very point that God wants you to hear? So while we're in church, just, just don't do it, right? Don't, you know, there's no emergency so great. Now, I, I'll give an exception to my brother over here. He is uh, on call. So if you're on call today for work, that's different. You have to respond. I get that. But otherwise, most of us, we really don't know, need to know that somebody posted a stupid picture of us on Facebook. We could deal with that in about a half an hour from now, right? Okay. Back in 1980, I know that's a very long time ago, uh, but Rhonda and I were dating and, uh, and, and then that same year later on got engaged. And we were in, our, in a church in our hometown, I, 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 my adopted hometown. It's really Rhonda's hometown where she was uh, basically raised and all that. But but for me, I adopted that hometown as a 15-year-old, Winston, Oregon. And, uh, but there was a family in the church that didn't know Rhonda very well. They had only observed her pretty much from a distance. And, and uh, if you know Rhonda uh, at all, you know that she is a very capable and talented and a very smart person, right? I, I'm giving you a chance, and you're really... Come on. I said pay attention. All right. So don't mess me up with this. All right. So, uh, so I really did well when I married her. Honestly, I did. I, I, I thank God. I thank God. But, and she's an example of, of mercy of God to someone who really needed help in life. <laughs> you know, I seriously needed someone to come alongside. And, but, but if you know Rhonda, you also know that sometimes by her own admission even, uh, her desire to have fun has gotten her into a little trouble now and then. <laughs> Is this true? Right? You, okay. So, uh, and sometimes it's things that she says or things like that. I mean, uh, one time when she was, bef actually before we started dating, I think it was, or somewhere in that same beginning of our dating time, I wasn't there at the time, but she was driving along. She had a Volkswagen Beetle that was fixed like a Baja bug, and she had a sunroof, and she cranked open the sunroof and had her friend steer while she stuck her head out while they're driving down the road, and, you know, stuff like that, that, you know, you think, she's, all right. So, so all kinds of fun she likes to have. Sometimes it's a little dangerous, but that's all right. Well, there was, there was a family in the church that um, they knew me a bit better, and they commented to a friend of mine how much respect they had for me, because I was willing to marry a girl that was obviously mentally impaired. True story. Absolutely true story. They, they actually used a word that we don't use anymore. It starts with an R and ends with retarded. That's what, no, really. Right? That's, that's the word they used. They, they thought, oh, why, that Sal is so nice to marry that retarded girl. I know, I know, right? So they didn't know her very well. Now, as time went on, uh, after we married, 
we became involved more in the youth of the church. They're, they got to know Rhonda. They all got cleared up. Um, in fact, Rhonda uh, ended up mentoring their teenage daughters or preteen daughters. It was a wonderful experience. And no, in fact, we never even found out about that comment until years later when the friend mentioned it to us. So, so it's probably a good thing, I guess, actually, if you think about it. So, um, but when I think about that story, it makes me realize something. I guess if I had known back then that this couple had felt that way about my bride or my bride-to-be, uh, I would have had difficulty wanting to be around them or interacting with them. Does that make sense? I mean, it would have bothered me. And, and then I take it to another level, and I think, if, if somebody hates my wife, I, I'm probably not going to want to hang out with them at all. I'm not going to want to be in... You know, it's not that I don't... Uh, how do I say this? It's not, I'm not saying they're not a brother or sister in the Lord. I don't know if they are or not. But if they hate my wife, I, I can't hang out with them. You see what I'm saying? It just seems crazy. I wouldn't want to be with them at all. If you insult my bride, you're insulting me too. Right? Because she, we are one. Not, that's not just something we say. God has made us one. So if you're insulting her, you're actually insulting me too. And, and uh, I can almost be more forgiving of people that insult me than somebody would insult my bride. You're with me. So, so, uh, so let's look at a couple highlights from this passage that we ha- had up on the screen earlier uh, as, and discover this answer to this question. And, and by the way, you could spend a, probably a year of sermons on this subject. But I'm just going to hit two little highlights today on why the church is important. And uh, the first point I want us to talk about is that very first line. And sometimes this is, if you read in your, if you look in your Bible, it depends on how it's laid out. But if you look there, usually verse 21 is separate from verse 22. It's a, a new heading. And uh, I think that's a terrible mistake. Those headings weren't in the scripture. And I think that obviously he's talking about submitting and then it moves right into talking about husbands and wives and that relationship. And it, it speaks that the wives should submit to their husbands. The fact of the matter is, though it's implied in the next two verses where it talks about submitting, the word submit is not in the original Greek. It's actually found in verse 21, which it, again, it implies it and it says it in another place. So it's not that the scriptures, you know, that we have it all wrong. And don't worry, ladies, submit is, is a lot easier than you think it is. I know, as soon as you say that, it's like, oh my goodness, right? It really is. In fact, we talked about this, that, that submission doesn't even begin until there's a disagreement. We talked about that last week, right? That, and so as long as you're in agreement, walking together in something, it doesn't ever even come up. And so that's a whole other topic. I can't get into that today, but uh, don't, don't get freaked out on me. Okay, so, so he says, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ in verse 21. And, uh, and so that, I really believe, sets the tone for everything that's happening. So I want to talk about that subject for a bit. Um, so one definition of the word submit, uh, and I think is primary in this case, means to yield or withdraw, okay? doesn't mean you become a doormat or anything like that. It means just you yield or withdraw at that point. And th- there are those... Uh, we are to be subject to, for sure, in, in life. God talks about be subject to those who are in authority over you and all that. But I believe this kind of submitting is just, just could simply be said by preferring one another. So submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Prefer one another. It's, it's the same idea where uh, the, you, the other person that comes to the banquet, you let them have the, the better seat that Jesus talked about in Luke 14 uh, and, and where he followed that up by saying, for all those who exalt themselves will be humbled. Those who humble themselves will be exalted. You want to do well in the kingdom of God? Take the low seat. Give someone else the high seat. Let God exalt you. Let him build you up. Are you with me? And so, so this, is, this is where we're at. Now, I've given you that paper today. Because, and we're going to go through this very quickly, but I, uh, this might be suitable for, for uh, framing and hanging in your home, but, uh, 
At least put it on your refrigerator or someplace where you could see it regularly. But I want this to serve as a reminder to us because not only are we to submit to one another as we see here in Ephesians, but when you start thinking through all the things that God says to us through, through the New Testament about how we are to behave toward one another, and I think these things are all woven together in the idea of submitting, withdrawing, yielding to one another. But look at this list. I'm going to go through it very quickly. Uh, follow along on that piece of paper with me. Did everybody get one? Did anybody need one that didn't get one? Okay, there's one on the back row there. Jake, would you run it back, please? Go to, there's a lady on the back row. She's got her hand up. Bring her one of those pages. Thank you. If you've got an extra. All right, so good. Thank you. So here we go. Going through this very quickly now. Uh, it says, and, and I, I guess as I go through this, I just want to say, think about what it would be like if we all behaved this way toward each other in the church. Are you ready? Be devoted to one another. Honor one another. Live in harmony with one another. Love one another. A lot of verses on that. Accept one another. Instruct one another. Greet one another. In some cases it says with a holy kiss. Don't let that bother you. Our, in our culture that, that means a hug or a handshake, okay? If I'm wrong, God can correct me on the other side, but I'm not kissing anybody, okay? Except my wife. Sometimes my kids and grandkids. Anyway. That reminds me, Rhonda, Rhonda told me, uh, I went over to see Abraham a couple weeks ago. I'm way off the track now, but uh, I went over to see him alone the other day, and when, when I was walking out the door, she says, give Abraham a kiss for me, and I thought, okay. And so uh, I thought, that's, that's kind of funny, so we get over there, and I, I mean, I used to kiss my boys when they were little, but I, uh, not as adults, I don't generally do it. So I was getting ready to leave after being with him a full day, and I, said, and I started to walk away, and I said, oh, oh, wait a minute. And he said, what? And I said, Mom told me to give you a kiss. And so I came up and grabbed him on the head, and I you know, grabbed his cheek and gave him a big kiss. You know, I, I have Italian heritage, and there's a lot of kissing goes on with Italians, so, but I, I promise I won't kiss any of you, okay? Just don't worry. <laughs> Greet one another. <laughs> Sorry, just tangent. Ah, okay. Encourage, I love this. Encourage and build up one another. Here's, here's a tough one. Come on. Agree with one another. Do you think? Serve one another, be patient with one another, be kind and compassionate to one another, forgive one another, the one we're looking at today, submit to one another, look to the interests of one another, we talked about that a couple weeks ago, teach and admonish one another, that's similar to instructing, spur one another on, encourage one another not to give up meeting together, specific encouragement, uh, be sympathetic, compassionate and humble to one another, offer hospitality to one another. Clothe yourselves with humility toward one another, fellowship with one another, be at peace with one another, show concern for one another, do what is good for one another, and pray for one another. And again, I feel all of that, just if you can lump it all together, falls into this category of submit to one another, yield, withdraw, honor others ahead of yourself, right? And, 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 and I want to ask you, what would it be like if we made every effort? Just Let's just think about this week. What if this week we actually tried to do everything on that list as much as we could with everybody that we ran into? Come on, let that sink in a little bit. Think about it. I mean, what would that be like? What would it be like if we treated our spouses that way? Woo! Look at those, you know, that's why I want you to think this over. I want you to have something to take home and go over. What would it be like if we even treated our kids that way? See, sometimes I think, well, I'm the authority. My kid is the subject. Well, how about, try honoring your kids. Uh, you know, something I always did when my kids were little, and take it or leave it, but when my kids were little, 
I always tried to speak to them above the age that they were, not speak down to them. Like, uh, as early as I thought it was possible and would be meaningful to them, instead of calling them kids or some name like that, I'd call them young men. Right? So I was always trying to speak into them something that would be where they're headed. And that's just a little tidbit, but I think there's ways that we can speak life into our kids and, and begin to talk to them in ways that lift them up and, and get them ready for the next. We begin to speak about them like we want them to be, is what I'm after. Okay. Uh, and what would it be like if we treated the whole world this way? Think about it. Come on, if we could honor people, like if we could do the things in that list, wow. But it is to the church that he's writing. So we're to submit to one another out of respect and awe of Jesus Christ. The church gathered together is essential in all of this. Many people, especially in America, think it's just fine to distance themselves from the church because of some hurt they've experienced or some bad thing that's happened to them with a church or with a pastor or with a leader. And, and I, I, you know, but when we don't gather with the church, in essence, we're saying, Father, I love you, but I don't love your kids. We're saying, Jesus, I love you, but I don't love your bride. We're saying, Jesus, I have a relationship with your head, but I don't want to be around your body. That, you know, wouldn't that be weird? Like, well, your head's fine, but the rest of you, no. Doesn't, they go together, don't they? Okay. And some people t- in our day, especially in Western culture, are thinking it's okay to be a believer, but not go to church. They're saying things like, I have church in nature, or I have church at home, or I have church online or on TV. No, you really don't. How can we do the things on the list that I just gave you? How can we submit to others and, and, and encourage each other if there's no others we're getting together with? There's, there's so much of the New Testament that's talking in plurality and that we are a body, that we're all connected, that we're the bride of Christ, and none of that's going to happen if you're alone. I'm not saying you can't have a relationship alone with God, but you can't have church without God, and you can't be part of the bride without God, without, without the body is what I'm saying. So that leads us to our next point, which is uh, care for the body, our second and last point, actually. Care for the body. I love this. I just, this kind of just jumped out at me as I began to look uh, through this a little more deeply. Again, looking at verses 29 and 30, which I read before, but I'm going to read them again. After all, he says, no one ever hated their own body, but they feed and care for their body, just as Christ does the church, for we are members of his body. Did you notice that? No one ever hated their own body. No one ever hated. Let me be really clear. If you and I are truly a part of the body of Christ, there is no room whatsoever for hatred or any other uh, uh, expression uh, of, you know, toward the body of Christ that would be in that category. Toward, and not just in the church that you call your church home, but any church for that matter. There's no room for hatred in here toward any part. Do you understand what I'm saying? talking bad, talking smack about other churches in the community, or, you know, I heard about this church and there and this and that. This is, not, this is not what we're after. This is not what we're about. You see, some people are angry with the church because of some maybe real or some perceived offenses, and I feel sorry for them. I really do. I, 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 but, but it's not okay to remain angry with the body. The bride, of, the bride of Christ is the bride of Christ. It's just like I said earlier. If you're angry with my wife, well, we're going to have to figure some stuff out here right? And what's Jesus thinking when we're, we're saying terrible things about uh, parts of his body that are out there and the bride of Christ, any part of the bride of Christ? It's, it, it, we got to think this through. And I think 
you know, and, and I feel badly that you got treated wrong or whoever may hear this got treated wrong. And this isn't just about the people that are in the room today, but, but people maybe we'll talk to to help them understand. I feel bad and I'll pray for you. And I'm sorry you were wrong by parts of the church or maybe a, a preacher, but I'm just going to tell you, if Jesus expects us to forgive everyone, he certainly expects us to forgive his bride. He really does. Now, there are times when the offense, the kind of offense that we have in life is so great that we can't continue to be in fellowship with a person. I get that. For instance, if a child, I'm talking more like a, a I'm going to make a connection here, but just think about a child who's lived in an abusive home, had an abusive parent of some sort, and they, they may not choose to have a relationship with that abuser, uh, but... God is clear about this, and this, is, this may seem like a tough pill to swallow, but bear with me. But God is very clear that you must forgive the person who offended you. Okay? Doesn't mean you need to be in the same room with them, but you have to forgive them. Why does God do that? Why, the, the reason God does this is not to give the abuser a pass, but to give real freedom and hope to the victim. This is what it's about. This, God is looking out for you. If you're the offended party, trust me, when he says forgive others because you're letting go of a big, big 100-pound uh, gorilla, you're hanging around and, you know, on your 600-pound gorilla or whatever they weigh. Anyway, but do you know what I'm saying? You're carrying around all this weight because of the unforgiveness and the hurt, and it's God saying, you've got to let that go. But it's not like you're letting it go to nothingness. You're letting it go to God. We talked about this at, at Reach this week, didn't we? We said we, we talked about forgiveness needs to take place. And so... So it's for your sake, it's for my sake, it's for our sake that God tells us to forgive. Forgiveness does not equal condoning or excusing someone or anyone. Instead, it is choosing to leave the offense in God's hand. Just give it to God. Just say it's yours. So in the same way, if a particular expression of the body of Christ, a particular church, does something wrong or offends us deeply, and by the way, this, this definitely happens. Some of you have experienced that. It's it is probably right for us not to continue in fellowship with that particular group. However, if we're living in unforgiveness toward them, we, we have to clear that up. We have to get forgiveness toward that church or that pastor or whatever's going on there. Does this make sense? So hear me again. If we are part of the body of Christ, no one ever hated his own body. Let that sink in. You're part of the body. It's, and whether you agree with them out there or whoever they are or whatever they've done, but they're part of your body, and no one ever hated their own body. Making sense? Okay. I recently read an article uh, by a, a guy by the name of Grayson Gilbert, and it was, here's the title, and when I read it, I was shocked by it. I, I thought, hmm, that's too strong, but bear with me. He said, I love, this is the title of the article, I love Jesus, but not the church, just means you don't love Jesus. I heard that, I went, wow, that is tough, that is strong. And, and, and as I read the article, though, I thought that I concluded that that statement is actually correct. Now, as I talk about the subject, I realize I'm preaching to the choir, as I said a moment ago. You guys are here. You, this probably isn't your problem. And he said, but, but chances are um, that if we begin to share this and we begin to have the right attitude about church, then when other people come along, when they begin to speak to us, let somebody comes to you and says, well, I don't like that, Pastor Sal. You know, and he said this, and I was offended by that. Then because we're teaching on it now, what we're going to do is we're going to realize if I allow this person to continue down that road without making, you know, getting things right, then they're going to end up in a bad spot because they're beginning to hate part of their body. And Jesus says, or Paul says, no one hates their own body. See where I'm going with it. This is why I'm talking about it. And so, so uh, anyway, 
uh, there's you know, way too many people in our community, in, in this community, in Wenatchee. I've talked to other pastors about this. We're all in agreement. We think that there could be as many as 50% of the people who call themselves believers that would say that I've given my life to Christ are not attending a church on Sunday morning in this community. That's just, again, that's kind of anecdotal. We don't really have this, this great uh, survey that we've done, but this is just pastors as I talk with them. I'd ask them like, something like that, and they'd say, yeah, I think that's right. I think that's, I've met enough people to know. Can you imagine? Like half of the believers in the Wenatchee Valley are, have distanced themselves from the body of Christ. No one ever hated their own body. What's going on there? Why, why is that happening? So we need to talk about it. These people will say, well, my church is just nature, or I worship at home, you know. Gilbert, this is what he says. Here's a quote from his article. He said, uh, his writing is a little different, but bear with it. Verbose arguments uh, abound on the church not being confined to a building. By the way, we believe that. The church is, uh, you know, is people. We get that. He says that all spaces are sacred and therefore filled with the divine presence. To them, church attendance is optional. Serving the brethren, or the Cistern, <laughs> again, is optional. Loving the brethren, still optional. Feeling guilty about not wanting to go to church? Don't worry about it. That's the fault of institutionalized religion. Soon enough, they'll be in the woods celebrating communion with Coca-Cola and cookies. I mean, you, could t- you, see, you hear a little sarcasm in it, and I'll, you know, look past that, but what he's saying is true. People are getting all, all uptight, and they're separate. And by the way... Only in Western culture, only in America, would this kind of stuff fly. Because in the rest of the world, they, they think it's just like crazy to think about people who would say, I'm a believer, but I don't ever go to church. They, they just could not connect those dots at all. And I think the New Testament agrees with that. I really do. I think that's uh, really important. And I would like to see, I'm not judging them and saying they're not believers. I'm saying they need to get back in church. That's what I'm saying. Okay. So, so now there's some groups that call themselves churches are not churches by the definition of Scripture. There are indeed cults out there. Some of them will have the name church in their title. That does not mean they're part of the body of Christ. We have enough discernment to figure that out. If they're following other books besides this book, they're wrong. Okay, they're a cult. Okay, I, I mean that they're holding some other book as, as valuable as the Word of God. The Book of Mormon, for instance, is not an inspired text. And uh, so, you know, it's just very, very clear in Scripture. That doctrine is wrong, it's cult, and it doesn't have anything to do. doesn't mean we can't love people. And I think, here's what I think, I think there's many people who are very sincere in the Mormon church that um, I think they found the Lord kind of accidentally through just being very sincere and wanting to know the Lord. I don't think they understand what their organization believes and really teaches. You go down deep, you dig deep enough, and it's just a bunch of crazy, crazy stuff that a guy came up with a couple hundred years ago. So, yeah, I'm being real bold about that because I I don't want there to be any kind of confusion about the fact that that there is the real church, and then there's the... the, But but I think you can find believers anywhere uh, because of, of the grace of God. So... So, but I also can't tell you how many times people have come to this church, and, uh, and on the first visit, they may come up to me and they say, hey, you know, and they begin to talk, and all of a sudden, they'll begin to talk about the church they came from, and they'll begin to disparage that church, or say, talk, talk bad about that church, or begin to say how that church failed them, or how they didn't do this, or didn't believe the right thing, or the pastor did this, or, and as soon as they enter into that, I don't entertain that kind of nonsense at all, ever. I will just shut that down immediately and say, no, 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 no. <laughs> I just want to be really clear. We love all the church. And, and, and even if 
that because I think what they're trying to do when they do that is endear themselves to me in some way uh, to say, well, maybe you're worthy of having me come to your church. You know, maybe you're the kind of guy, right? Okay, you see what's going on? So I, I kind of just, I don't really put up with that. I don't like it. I'm not going to entertain that kind of nonsense. People get offended for crazy reasons in churches too. Not every offense is a real one. I had a guy stop coming to our church because I stopped wearing neckties. No, it's real. I'm not kidding. I, you know, at some point you've got to look past some of the externals and just go, what, what's God calling me to, right? Um, Gilbert continues in his article and, and uh, says this. He says, you can't love God without loving his people. And loving his people that you die to self, bear with one another in love, obey the commandments of Scripture for your personal and corporate edification in order that God might be glorified. Go to church. Go to church. Going to church is important because, first and foremost, it's God's will that we do it. One of the scriptures we read earlier from Hebrews, to encourage each other not to forsake assembling together or coming together. The church is the body of Christ. Why is the church important? Why is my liver important? Why is my eye important? Right? That's, you can answer that question. You can answer why the church is important. Because even, you know, even in our physical bodies, let's say there are certain parts that we could live without, right? Rhonda has had her appendix removed. You don't miss it, right? Um, some of you might have had your tonsils out. Somebody may have even donated a kidney or had a bad kidney that had to be pulled out. You had another one. Thank God he gave us a spare, right? You know what I'm saying? But there are, so there are certain parts of the body we can do without. We can live without. But I'll tell you the truth. Even in the leaving, there is pain involved. And there's scars that are left behind. See where I'm going? So, so there, there are some parts that leave and we don't miss it at all. There's no pain. I'll, I'll give you for instance. My, my body used to have a head of hair. Yeah. In fact, I had, when I was a teenager, I had long hair down on my shoulders. And a lot of it. I actually had a, a, a gal that used to cut my hair when I was, uh, I think it was about 18 or 19 at the time. She goes, oh, you have a thick head of hair. Go figure, right? And, and so my hair left the body, and honestly, I never felt any pain from that. Some of it has returned. It's coming out of my ears and nose, but that's another story. <laughs> but, but most of it is just left, and, uh, you know. But even so, can I tell you, I miss the hair. I'd like to have it back. I'm just being real with you, right? I can live with me. I'm okay, but I'm just saying I'd like to have it back. So what I'm saying in all of this is that, that going to church is not about coming for a good show. It really isn't. If, if, if it was, we could all sit home in our PJs and stream online church from the best in America, listen to our most profound preacher preach the gospel, listen to an outstanding worship team, turn up the subwoofer and feel like we're you know, just there with everybody. And, and we, you know, it reminds me of a family that went to church uh, one Sunday morning, and the mother commented, well, the choir was surely awful this morning. And the dad said, and the sermon was way too long. And their seven-year-old daughter said, well, I thought it was a pretty good show for a dollar. <laughs> now, don't get me wrong. I love great preaching, and I love great worship, and we... we endeavor to do our very best in those categories here. We, one of our core values is a desire for excellence, and we're always pursuing that. We're always going after that. But honestly, that is not why we come to church. 
That is not why we come to church. That is not why church is important. It isn't really about what we get when we come. It's about what we bring. Let me say that again. It isn't about what you get when you come to church. It's about what you bring when you come to church. Remember the words of Paul again. No one ever hated their own body, but they feed and care for their body. How are you feeding and caring for the body of Christ? How are you involved in that process? So, so as members of his body, we care for Jesus, the body because it is his body. We care for the bride because it's the bride of Christ and what God has joined together, amen? He's joined us together. Are you seeing this? And then we care for the church because it is his church and he said, I will build my church. So man, I hope we're getting a good attitude towards the church of the living God today. Amen? Worship team, come on back up. This is one of the mysteries of Scripture and dualisms that we find so often in the Bible. Collectively, we are the bride of Christ, but somehow we are individually the bride of Christ as well. Does that make sense? I want to ask you a question and just... Stay with me for just a couple more minutes here. Try not to be distracted in this moment. Let me ask you this question and just for you to think about. Do you understand the value that you have to God as a person? Just you. I've been talking a lot about the corporate reality of, of the church today, but I want to talk about you for just a moment. Do you understand how much He loves you? He cares about you. He sought you out as His bride, and He loves you. And we, if you're like me at all and you know yourself, you might think, I'm kind of, let's make that really quiet, okay? We might be surprised that he would, not me quiet, the rest of it quiet, thanks. <laughs> awesome. We might be surprised that he wants to have a relationship with us, but he really does. He really does. And I, think this through with me. We can think about this as individuals or even as a, as a church in general across the globe. But as, as the bride of Christ, bear with me for a moment, we have in many ways prostituted ourselves. We've, we've gone after other lovers. We've chose sin over obedience. And, and in doing so, we're looking for other lovers as we do so. There's an Old Testament prophet by the name of Hosea. He's just minding his own business one day, and God comes to him and says, Hosea, I got a job for you. Yes, sir, whatever you want. He says, you see that prostitute over there? I want you to go marry her and have children with her. Man, I don't know about you, but that is so tough. You really would have to know you heard from God, wouldn't you? I mean, seriously. So he, so he, he obeys. He did what God said. That is so tough. And after they've been together for a while and they've had a couple of children, uh, she, Gomer, that's her name. Uh, the name probably doesn't match the girl because I imagine she was a looker because of what I'm about to say in a moment here. But she, she begins to wander off again in her heart and ultimately ends up going out and being, becoming a prostitute again. At one point she says this, and this is why I think she was probably an attractive girl, is that she said, I will go after my lovers who will give me food and my water and my wool and my linen and my olive oil and my drink. She's got plural lovers out there. She knows that they are going to reward her greatly for her services. Now, you and I, we can just substitute our own things that we're struggling with in life, the sins we're committing for, you understand, the connection I'm making right now, okay? Things that we're willing to trade the love of God for, basically. 
And after a while, God tells Hosea, now go back to Gomer and show her your love once again. And then, blow my mind, he says, and so he's instructed to take 15 pieces of silver and buy his prostitute wife so she will come and spend time with him. And I thought about the price that Jesus paid by shedding his own blood for you and me. And I thought about how he cares for you and me so much that he would give so much for us in that moment. Even though we blow it again and again by prostituting ourselves in sin. And then this is what God says in Hosea chapter 2 after this event from the NLT. Hosea 2, 19 and 20 says, listen to God's words, how he speaks to to really to you and me, to the bride of Christ. He says, I will make you my wife forever, showing you righteousness and justice, unfailing love and compassion. I will be faithful to you and make you mine, and you will finally know me as the Lord. Oh, the love of God, the, the reckless love of God, right? That He would come after us who are sinning, and, and, and He would come after us and purchase us, not with a few pieces of silver, but with the very blood of the precious Lamb of God, Jesus Christ. I say all that to say this. The church is important because it is the object of God's love for His bride in both community and as individuals. He loves the whole church, and He loves you. Thank you for listening to Praise Center Sermon of the Week. Don't forget, for more information, visit PraiseCenterOnline.com.